In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into the camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. No Jesse Temple. Back with me tomorrow as we break down practice and get into a little bit more of what the quarterbacks had to say today. But we're going to start the show today with exactly what the quarterbacks had to say. Uh, specifically, Tanner Mordecai and Phil Longo. Uh, we had a chance to talk with both of them today. Braden Locke as well. We'll talk a little bit about that tomorrow with Jesse. Uh, same thing with about Marsh, uh, Miles Burkett and Nick Evers. We'll get into that tomorrow. But I wanted to give you guys an opportunity to hear directly from both Phil Longo and Tanner Mordecai. They both uh, had extended press conferences today. For, for Mordecai, it was the first time he actually had spoken to the press since uh, traveling, uh, I should say since uh, committing to Wisconsin, coming from SMU. Uh, some good stuff from him. And we'll, uh, we'll play that interview right here. Come back on the other side. Then we'll hear from Phil Longo. And then coming up later in the show, going to hear from uh, Brian Mason and Brian Lucas, uh, two guys that uh, have been uh, very involved with the media aspect for the last 10 years, uh, or I should say the last since I've been covering the Badgers, which is since 2013. Brian Mason is now the uh, director of NIL Strategy, which is obviously a huge job in this current climate of uh, college football and college athletics. So some really good stuff from him. And then Brian Lucas is the uh, director of football brand communications. He's been uh, in the communications department going all the way back to uh, when Barry Alvarez was the coach. So uh, a lot of good stuff from both of those guys. But we'll start the show here with Tanner Mordecai and what he had to, uh, to say in his first appearance with the media. sure I was going to go uh, put my name in the draft and uh, do the whole pro route. Uh, you know, I got some feedback from some scouts and teams uh, about where I would be drafted, and I wasn't uh, super fired up about uh, the feedback. Um, and, you know, Coach Longo and uh, Coach Fickle got in touch, and it was kind of, a, you know, an opportunity, a fit that I thought I shouldn't pass up. Um, it allowed me to uh, show what I have um, on a Power 5 playing field and uh, kind of show them that I can do what I did, you know, in the American, I can do as well um, in the Big Ten. You've been a number one quarterback since the spring practice started, but what do you think you've been able to do through big practices that's allowed you to have some success? Um, just continuity between me um, and the offensive line and uh, our receivers, really. Uh, you know, you gotta, you have to have, you have to have snaps with each other to, to build that trust and you know, that connection between me and my guys. And I think that's something we've kind of uh, built off of since the first day uh, going into, what, practice nine tomorrow. So that's something that we've all gotten better at. You had a prior relationship with Phil. Just what's, what's that like between you guys? And why is he somebody you wanted to come play with? Um, I think our relationship is awesome. Uh, he's a 
really good coach. I think he's, you know, top offensive guy um, in college football and NFL. And, you know, that's that's a big reason why I'm here is to, to play under him, uh, made a really successful offense. Um, and like you said, I knew him prior. I, at high school when he was at Ole Miss, I was close to committing to him there. And so uh, it's kind of crazy how it comes full circle. Whitman. How close were you to going to Ole Miss, and what major, what kind of major decision? Um, <clears throat> man, I was like eight years ago, but, uh, <laughs> seven years ago. But it was, oh, I mean, Ole Miss was kind of far from home a little bit. Um, they had some some stuff going on there that you know ultimately I didn't think it was in my best interest to step into, which glad I didn't. They had some stuff go down right after. Um, but, I mean, I don't regret anything about uh, my journey and my time at OU and SMU. I've, I don't have any regrets, and I've, I've enjoyed my journey. Had you and Phil kept in touch at all in the ensuing years, or did that just, or had you all not talked for a while up until you were in the No, I, I, didn't, I didn't talk to him uh, while I was at uh, OU SMU. That's, I think that's against the rules. You could have judged. Not socially, you could have. You yeah. No, no, I didn't. I haven't kept up uh, with them through the, the five years that I was at OU and SMU. Having competed against Coach Fickle's teams in the past, how, how would you describe you know what the characteristics of his teams are, and do you see that kind of rubbing off here? Of course, um, highly successful. Uh, they fly around. Uh, they finish uh, with with an attitude. Um, they, they they do so. The three safety stuff is kind of the new fab thing to do for defenses, but they have a wrinkle in theirs that allows them to be, I think, more successful than other three three safety teams. And uh, you know, him and Coach Trestle and the rest of those guys have been very successful defensively. Um, you know, they led the nation in a lot of things, so I expect nothing less from them. Yeah, what do you want to take this program as a um, championship status. That's it. On championships. How would you describe Phil Longo as a quarterbacks coach? Um, I think he's a perfect balance of easy going and you know having a sense of urgency. I think, there, I think there's, there's a healthy balance between the two with him. Uh, and the and the meeting room is pretty laid back, cracking jokes, watching film. But you know when we're talking business, it's it's business. Um, when we get out in the field. Uh, you know, we get to work, we don't mess around, and, uh, you know, we're here to get better. So there's a healthy balance between the two that allows, you know, his quarterbacks to be so successful. You were playing with your injuries you went through last season with broken ribs, was it? Or what was your situation? Just how much of a bother was that for you? And what did you learn from uh, the experience? Yeah, I broke a couple ribs TCU uh, week, which I think was week four or three. Um, then I broke one. Uh, week 10 or 11 versus Memphis, and I had a concussion against Cincinnati. Uh, so, I mean, the rib stuff is, you know, it is what it is. Um, guys play with that stuff all the time. Uh, not really a, a factor. Um, but, yeah, having a concussion, having to miss a game, um, I wasn't too fired up about, obviously, but it is what it is. Um, but I feel healthy right now. I feel perfectly good to go and excited to get out, get out there. Just to follow up, when a guy says championship level, are you talking league championships or both? I firmly believe uh, Coach Vick is going to win a national championship here. So you don't know you're going to do it. That's right. What's it been like building chemistry you know, with all the new receivers that you've built? Um, and it's been fun. Uh, like I was saying earlier, it takes takes reps, repetition. It doesn't just come, you know, overnight. Um, over the winter, you know, the hours that we spent in here, uh, throwing, uh, getting to know each other, you know, on the football level, um, and then through spring practice, I think, you know, through eight practices, you can see kind of where we started uh, day one and now like uh, where we are now, as far as uh, having continuity together. And, I think it's something that we're definitely growing in the right direction. Playing against Cincinnati the last couple of years, playing against a fickle coach team, what is that? What did that kind of do for your respect for him, and just how? And did that have any impact on your decision at all as well? Um, I mean, he's been a top, he's been a top dog in that league for uh, a couple of years. Um, so yeah, I have the utmost respect for what he's done. Uh, you know defensively, offensively, special teams, everything, because they did it all well. Uh, they took a, you know, a non-Power 5 team to the, to the playoff and played you know, Alabama close. Um, so, yeah, um, I think you know, he's one of the best coaches in uh, college football, so that's for sure something that weighed in on when he's coming here. 
this offense is going to be different, something different than what's been traditionally done. Just, what do you feel like the ceiling for the group and what you guys could do in the fall eventually? Um, you know, under Coach Longo's uh, lead, I don't, I think, I don't think there is a ceiling for this offense. Um, you know, our, our offensive staff, along with the guys that are here, have really adapted like, like, like they've been doing it for years now. Um, you know, watching practice, you wouldn't think that they haven't ran an up-tempo air raid offense. Um, so I'm really proud of how they have adapted um, from, you know, the traditional offense they've been running. Um, so, yeah, I don't think there's a ceiling for us. What is it that you like from what you've seen? You said it doesn't look like they're adapted to a new offense. But where do you see it? Where do you see that in the examples, sir? Uh, just execution. I mean, execution, playing fast is not something that they were used to. And, you know, watching practice and how highly our offensive line and receivers and running backs are executing, you can't tell that they haven't been in this kind of offense for, for very long. When you're learning offense, you know, learning offenses differently. What's, what are some of the keys for you? What are you, what are you diving Learn, something Yeah. Uh, learning offenses, all right, it's just time in the film room. Time learning from the guy who created it, Coach Longo. I think that's the key is just putting in the hours to understand, you know, uh, his verbiage, how he wants it done, what he calls things. Um, you know, like Coach Riley and the other, Coach Lincoln Riley, Coach Garrett Riley, and uh, Coach Lashley, and all those guys, they, they all run air raid. And a lot of stuff is overlap as far as plays and uh, different schemes and stuff a little bit. It's just called differently and signaled differently and uh, communicated differently. So that's something I just have to, you know, sit in with Coach Longo and learn what he says and how he calls it and uh, put that in my brain. So coming in, you can't – I'm not used to the culture in January. Now I, I am now, but in January I came in and, you know, I didn't whole lot, I didn't know a whole lot about the guys, the locker room, the culture. So I think that's a good time for me to understand, uh, you know, let the let the guys show me a little bit, show me what, what how things are done, um, you know, what how traditions are done and everything. And once I understand that and I gain their respect and trust because of my work ethic and how much winning means to me, that then I can start to lead and I can, uh, you know, lead those guys to, to success. And, but at first, I think it's about understanding, growing relationships and that trust, growing respect, and uh, then going from there. You mentioned those leaders and the culture in this location. What's different about this culture versus other places you've been and the culture they've had versus this one? Um, I think the guys here are... I mean, I, I'm not going to say the guys weren't hungry where I was, because that's not true, but the guys here are very hungry to win. Uh, this Wisconsin football has always been a winning culture, and these guys are dying to, to uh, uh, hold that standard upright. And so that's just kind of something I've noticed ever since being here, that these guys are just uh, completely bought into what these coaches want us to do, and they're willing to do whatever they can to, to uphold the uh, standard of winning. With, uh, with Braden Lott, just uh, I know that he's moving up on the second team next, just how is he starting to, uh, what you're seeing as a veteran quarterback, seeing him digest this offense, and him, he's translating and making plays on the field? Um, he's done a great job. Uh, he's prepared really well. He's really smart. Uh, he, know, he understands, uh, you know, where the ball needs to go, uh, and he understands how, you know, the scheme is being run. And whenever you understand at a high level, it's, it makes it a lot easier to execute, which he's done a great job of. Yeah, Coach Longo asked you guys, quarterbacks do something a little bit different than a lot of quarterback coaches with that straight drop back. 
So there he was, Tanner Mordecai, the transfer from SMU. A lot of good stuff. We'll dive into exactly what he had to say when I talk with Jesse tomorrow. Um, but here is uh, Phil Longo talking about Tanner Mordecai and the rest of his quarterbacks as uh, the new offensive coordinator uh, gets his offense in shape. Phil Longo loves football, and he loves to talk football, and uh, he was really good today when he had a chance to talk to him. So when you're working in this many new players in the position group, just how have you seen them gel as a group and then maybe who's emerged kind of as a leader or kind of a voice to, to help these guys out? A particular position or just? No, the quarterback, sorry. Um, well, Tanner's obviously the leader right now in the room. Um, but there have been three guys, I think, that um, have shown some leadership ability. So that would be Tanner, Braden, and uh, Marshall Howe. Um, I think, and it's, that's not a knock on the others. I think the others are in the, you know, Cole is hurt, so he's kind of removed from the room a little bit, not getting reps on the field, not practicing. Miles and Nick are learning the offense still, and I think that's the mode they're in. It's hard to go lead when you don't have everything down. And then um, I think Marshall, Braden, and Nick have shown the maybe the best understanding of the system. And usually when you kind of know your own job, it's easier to branch out. It's hard to go leave when you're focused on your own job. These three are probably in a better situation right now from an understanding standpoint than they were when they got here, obviously. And so you're starting to see some leadership ability from those three, maybe more than the other three. Kind of building off that, you, you hey, talk. Coach, before we start, would you mind taking one more step? I'm I sorry. Apologize. Sure. Thank you. Is that good? Yeah, that's great. Thank kind you. of following up on that, when we talked to you before spring, spring practice started, you talked about installing and that, um, your plan. How would you assess how the guys, especially the returning guys, who this is a completely different system for them, are grasping it and functioning in it right now? I know it's a long way to the open. So the new guys are, like Marshall and uh, Miles yeah. are, they have a very good understanding of the offense. That's right. I didn't mean just the quarterbacks. I meant the entire Oh, offense. you meant everybody. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. So I would say overall, and I would, what I was going to say about Marshall and Miles with yeah. the returning players is the same at all the positions. They, the attitude, the care factor, I say all the time, yeah. the, the um, excitement about running a different system, that's helped the learning curve. Yeah. Right, because they were in during phase one, Coach Fickle's phase one of developing their bodies and training and spending their time with Brady Collins. They were itching to get into meetings and talk football. You know, and Coach kind of held them back, kept them hungry, and really wanted them to focus on the developmental part of it. And, and I won't lie, that was probably was a challenge for me too because I wanted to get into the, the building and get into the meetings and start teaching them this stuff also. The good thing for me, which was a little tougher for the rest of the staff, is that there was an exception for the quarterbacks for obvious reasons. So I had an opportunity to meet with my guys a little bit sooner than some of the other positional coaches. But overall, just the exuberance and the excitement and the um, work ethic that they already had uh, and, and the intelligence that they already had, that stuff just kind of played 
a positive part in this whole process. And so we were able to install the offense in the first four days like we wanted yeah. to. But looking back at uh, where we were in Texas, where we were at Ole Miss, and where we were at North Carolina, we are ahead of the curve right now. Each job has gotten a little bit better. Maybe we're just getting better at installing it or teaching it. But a lot of that has to do with the care factor and the, and the intelligence in the locker room. You mentioned Tanner as a leader. Yeah. What was an example that maybe stuck out to you or something that he's done since he's been here that's kind of shown to you what type of leader he is? So it's funny. We were just talking about him in the office this morning. I thought he was a hard guy to read when I was recruiting him because he's fairly, he's composed, but he's quiet until you get to know him. And it took me a while to get to know him during recruiting. And then in this process, when we kind of rekindled the relationship a little bit and got into this process and he showed up here, he still was a little more um, conservative and, and composed and quiet until, you know, you spend some time with each other, you get to know each other and then um, you know, things just flourished, I think, after a few weeks of just getting to know each other. But the other thing was, from day one that Tanner's been here, he's acted like the star. You know, he's, he's shown up. There's no ego. He's very humble. Um, and there's no disrespect towards the other guys. But he's been a starter for two years. He's a veteran. He carries himself that way. And he just has just shown some natural leadership ability when he's out among our players, his teammates. And, you know, it, it really, I think it just comes from the fact that he's already done it. What about on the field with Tanner? What's the skill set you've seen now that you've had a chance to work with him for eight practices? What is he doing so well to allow him to drive? So I, Tanner, Tanner has a strong enough arm to make every throw on the field. Um, he can snap off all the quick ones. We call them automatics. We really expect there to be 100% completion with regards to our accuracy on the quick screens and now throws the quick game, the slants, the hitches, all that stuff. And he's pretty automatic at that stuff. The intermediate stuff takes a little bit more focus, obviously, and you're going to do that under more duress because we're holding the football. And he's really good there, and he can, he can really fit some things into some tight windows. And I think he's going to be a really, really good deep ball guy. We talked about that this morning. He has the, the ability to hit the option stuff and the corners and the posts and the fades and all that stuff. And he's getting better as we go. Um, I think he's much more um, athletic than people give him credit for. You know, he can run the football. He turned the corner on a scramble on a play last week that surprised even myself. And so I don't, I don't think that, uh, you know, I thought maybe with Drake May there'd be a little bit of a drop-off since he's such an athlete, you know, and he's so good laterally. But t Tanner's providing some of that same stuff. So I, I'm, um, I'm excited to see him in live action. You know, he's, uh, he's got the leadership part of it. He's an athlete. And I think every day that we practice, he gets better executing the offense on the field. So things bode well for us, in, in my opinion, right now. Quarterback. How specifically has he kind of shown that leadership? Man, just kind of <laughs> even in this day and age, it might be difficult for a newcomer to immediately establish himself as a leader. How has he kind of done that? But Tanner isn't exactly a yeller and a screamer, right? He's not, that's not his style. Very similar to Sam Howell. Sam Howell's quiet. But Tanner is going to bark at a guy if he needs something done. He's going to go over and coach him. Um, it's something I try to facilitate. I want our guys, if they're not mentally getting a rep behind the cues, as you've seen, we do that. If they're missing from one of those plays, it's usually because they're over talking to a tight end or a receiver or an O-lineman about correcting something. You know, and they can't do that unless they have knowledge of the other positions. So I just think with knowledge comes power, with knowledge comes confidence, and they're able to talk to other players about the things that they're doing because they're aware of what the job is and they know how they're supposed to execute it. They also know what they want, right? We need a route to be a certain way, and if they're not getting a route the way it needs to get, then they can go over and have a conversation. Tanner doesn't pull any punches, and he has no problem addressing it with another team. How have you gone about facilitating the quarterback competition this spring, just in general? Well, on my board, it says knowledge equals reps. And I've learned the hard way, as just as a coach, putting the best athlete out there or the strongest arm out there slows the production of the offense, particularly when you're installing it for the first time. And really, those guys never really uh, tap out or max out the potential that they have if they don't understand how to play the game of football. So... I learned a long time ago, and the, the 
prerequisite now. We won't recruit them if they don't have the arm strength. We won't recruit them if they haven't demonstrated the accuracy. But once they get here, they're not getting on the field. They're not repping if they don't know the job. You know, so there's, you know, I, at Ole Miss, we had a guy that was a super, super athletic with a great arm, could not learn the offense, and really never got an opportunity um, early on to compete. And Jordan Tamu and Shea Patterson and, and uh, Matt Corral were not that way, and they were able to compete and, and, and fight for a job. And, you know, so that that is uh, the prerequisite. I mean, they're not going to rep here if they don't know what they're doing. And so part of that is their obsessiveness to learning, right? You know, we've got three guys in our room right now that are learning. We're talking about footwork of the O-line today in a power play with some of our quarterbacks because they've got their stuff down and we're trying to expand their overall knowledge because it'll help them when they're out there. And then we've got we've got one that's struggling and we've got two that are still in the process of learning just their job and how to play quarterback. We talked about building building relationships with guys and you can't force that, you can't rush it. So how do you how do you do that? What are the keys to doing that? You know, I always say like I don't know after all this time coaching whether leaders are born or developed, there's probably a little bit of both. But I, what I do know is it happens naturally. You know, there's a difference between when your child does something wrong and they go over and apologize to my wife because I told them to. And when they go over there and do it on their own, it's organic, it's natural, and it came from them. And that's how leadership is. You know, I can tell a guy he needs to exude some leadership. I can tell him what he needs to do to present what looks like leadership. Or he can do it naturally. And I I don't push guys there. I tell them how important leadership is. Um, It comes with the, the position. It's a necessary part of playing that position. If they don't have that ability, they're probably not going to be the starting quarterback here or most places. And if they have any of it, they've got to they've got to present it. They've got to they've got to show that they can do that. That's part of playing quarterback. So it has to happen naturally. It has to happen organically. And I think letting them know that that's a part of it is my job. Them demonstrating it is their job. What stands out about Brayden Locke and what he's been able to do to earn a lot of reps with the second team? So Braden is um, maybe our most consistent guy. Struggled in the first couple practices, had had a couple good days, you know, in the middle there. The last two or three days, he's been really good. He is the model of consistency, and he's gotten better with each practice. Um, and he has a tremendous. He and Tanner probably have the best overall understanding of the offense and just the game of football in general. They're the most obsessed about it right now, so they put the most time in and they retain well. So when you teach them something, Chim DK is a great example that you teach them something today, it shows up on the field tomorrow, and then you get to coach on the next step. You know, Mike Brown gets to talk to him about the next step of receiver play, and you don't have to go back. And that's how Tanner and Braden are right now. And they're they're both competing to be smarter than the other one. With Miles, obviously his roles a lot clearer last year is kind of that next guy up. How have you seen him attack this spring? You know, after he puts in a year and all of a sudden he's kind of back at the bottom of the total pole again, you know, having to start. So, I mean, he's not at the bottom. He's getting – we'll rotate through our three reps. Nobody has really taken the stranglehold of that third spot. So our top guy right now is Tanner, the backup right now, and this could change is Braden Lock. And then we've got three of them that are rolling through – three reps and a lot of the initial reps that they're assigned are based on their knowledge of what we're doing that day and then after that it's based on their production and right now the third guy on the depth chart for today would be Marshall Howe. You know Miles is uh, still learning it. He has days where he's the three guy you know and I'm just waiting to see one of the guys that is in that three spot on the practice day kind of take control and have a good smooth decision making and production day and then start putting those together, and that those are the guys that wind up separating themselves from whoever's going to be four and whoever's going to be five. I mean, what him specifically, though, have you, uh, you know, liked his attitude and approach after? Attitude's been great. You know, he's, he's he answers a lot of questions in the meetings. He studies. He comes in the meetings prepared. You know, he's uh, he's positive and productive and proud. I mean, I have no issues with Miles at all. He's. He's done everything that we've asked him to do. Right now, he's just in the process of competing with the rest of the guys, and the pecking order is kind of dictated daily. 
you talked about recruiting Tanner to Ole Miss. How close did you feel you came to having him join you there? I think pretty close based on what he said. I mean, you, you know, it's the hardest thing about recruiting. The funnest thing about recruiting is when you land an elite one. The hardest thing is when you're recruiting two or three elite ones and you can't coach those other two guys. And they go somewhere else, and you just hope they don't go somewhere in conference so you have to coach against them. But, you know, Braden Locke was a guy that I recruited, and Tanner Mordecai was a guy that I recruited, and uh, we wound up committing somebody prior, and they wound up going elsewhere. Braden said he thought he was coming to North Carolina, and then we committed Drake May, and so he went to Mississippi State with Coach Leach. And it's just that's the way it happens. But I'm glad that uh, when you recruit fewer, you have a stronger relationship with them. And I think that helped us backtracking and looking into the portal for Evers and Tanner and, and Brady. Where is Nick Evers in this? Where is Nick Evers in his development and trying to gain knowledge of the playbook and what you've seen so far? So Nick is exciting athletically, you know, and he is he might be the best athlete in the room. Um, he's got a strong arm. And what he is working on right now, and we just met one-on-one yesterday, is getting to a point where he understands what's going on out there from a, in the pass game from a protection standpoint. In the run game, you know, when do we change some things or make a check or throw an RPO or, or pass, a, you know, flip a now out there. Those type of things he's still on the learning curve with, and, and that's why he's had fewer reps. So the greater, the better he understands the system, the more we'll see him out there. And I'm looking forward to, he will, his learning and the way he addresses it will dictate him getting more reps. And that's really uh, a synopsis of the conversation I had with him yesterday. With, with Braden, to Ken Iacomelli, I think two ago, called him a genius in just the way that he's got a passion for in terms of learning the game. How have you seen, like, how, how have you seen him take, and obviously he has the experience from Mississippi State, so Braden's got a unique advantageous background in that he came from the air raid system so all the air raids that they were doing here it's just a natural you know hey here's what we call it instead of what they were calling it there but then in high school he had a, a very substantial run RPO aspect to their offense and that's probably what's a little different to Tanner. Tanner Tanner knows all the air raid stuff, and he has put more time and effort into learning um, how to execute the run game and the RPO stuff because that wasn't as big a part of what he did. Braden can pull from these two different experiences. This offense is really made for him based on his background because it's what he's done. Um, Tanner has learned it just as well. I think Braden came in with a little bit of an RPO knowledge advantage. And he is, um, he's the same type of student of the game that Tanner is. And, and I think when they demonstrate that knowledge to the other players where they can answer questions and talk to them about it, I, I think that their teammates are impressed that they have knowledge beyond their own position. So when you guys got yeah, you pull one more. You bolstered the wide, wide receiver room. And, and, and you personally made it a point to say, look, we're still going to run the ball. we got backs who can run the ball. From, from your tailback's perspective, do you guys have guys who can catch the ball? and make plays in space, in your opinion? Yeah, this sounds more convenient to say, but they all catch the ball well. I just met one-on-one with Jackson Aker about his ability to catch the football. I mean, he is an absolute load. could probably play running back, fullback, tight end. I mean, he's, a, he's kind of a hybrid kid. I think he can be fairly special, but the, uh, the running backs have all given themselves a chance. We haven't eliminated a running back because when he's out there, we can't throw the ball to him. Yak and all those guys, Bortolotti and and uh, 44, I call Glauterman, I call him John Riggins. They don't know who John Riggins is. <laughs> I call him Riggins. Yeah, but they all catch the ball. Well. And so we haven't really had to pull somebody so that we can throw the football. Pleasant surprise. All right, so there he was. Phil Longo, the uh, Wisconsin offensive coordinator, plenty of good stuff from him there. As I said with t- about Tanner Mordecai, we'll get into more about what Phil Longo, uh, exactly what he had to say and some, some of Jesse's takeaways when we talk tomorrow after practice. Um, all right, let's get into our final interview of the show. It is Brian Lucas and Brian Mason. Brian Lucas, the director of football brand communications. Brian Mason, the director of NIL strategy. Those two have worked together. Brian, the, uh, Brian Mason's job is new. 
he's, he started it last fall. So, but they were the, t- the tandem that uh, I worked out, worked with on a daily basis pretty much since I started covering the Badgers in 2013. They're the uh, liaison between the, the football the uh, football team and the media interviews and all that stuff. So uh, really good stuff for both of them and really enjoyed chatting with them. Yes, welcome back in. Joined now by Brian Mason. He's the director of Name Image Likeness Strategy. Is that correct? Uh, and uh, uh, Brian Lucas, the Bryans. Uh, Brian Lucas is the... Uh, Director of Brand Communications for the football program. Correct. Did I, did I get that title correct? Yes. All right. Two for two. All right. Sweet. Off to a great start. Um, with you, though, Brian, if the, if the voice sounds... I'm going to have to say Lucas and Mason here. All right. Uh, for you, Mason, if the voice sounds familiar for folks, uh, it's the voice... Excuse me. The former voice of the camp video series. Former, yes. How you I've take, been replaced. How are you taking that? Uh, John Anderson has taken over the ESPN uh, anchor... What? Uh, how are you feeling about that? Uh, my wife has refused to watch new episodes. No, I'm, kidding. Uh, I'm glad to see we finally have a professional in that role. Um, I think it's a step up for the production. Uh, certainly a hit for my ego. No, no doubt there. But it's but, also yeah. helped our budget because now we don't. I mean, we had to pay Mason a lot of money to right. do that, and John Anderson came in a lot cheaper. Yeah, for sure. That's the part I didn't want to say is they couldn't afford me anymore. Yeah, that was really the issue. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. This is a role, Brian, for you in the, in the NIL uh, that you took on after spending twelve years trying to keep the media in line around the football program. Sometimes successful, sometimes not. <laughs> um, obviously, dealing with us on a day to day basis, but. You know, in this current environment, uh, the importance of NIL is just, you know, off the charts. Can you explain your role and, and how it's connected to the, the football program? Sure. Yeah, I think connect is a good word. I feel like um, I'm sort of a connector of dots in this in this role. Um, I think by title, the idea is that um, my focus is really strategic, trying to look at the big picture, trying to look at the future as much as you can in NIL and look at where we sort of need to be pointed to meet what might be coming in the future. But on a daily basis, uh, I do feel like I'm connecting the dots for folks. So this is a totally new space for everybody, internal, external. Um, there is not a lot of expertise to be had. So, you know, we're trying to develop that right. inside these walls. And then really it's from there um, educating our student-athletes, educating our staff and our coaches educating our fan base on what is really a 180 degree turn from the days of no you cannot provide a student athlete with a free meal no you cannot compensate a student athlete and and pivoting off of that and saying actually we actively encourage you (laughs) to directly support student athletes financially um so there's a there's a bit of a learning curve there for all of these parties and i view i view my role as kind of being uh in the hub of that wheel um and trying to educate all those folks, but also trying to be the one who can kind of move messages around. And as people try to figure out how they want to engage in the space, whether they're a business, whether they're a fan, whether they're an agent, whether they're a student athlete, um, just trying to be that uh, sort of middleman for everybody. What's been the community's reaction to the program and to NIL? Um, and have you seen an uptick uh, in interest since Luke took over? Uh, great question. I think the I would I would divide the community into two. Okay. I think there's the business community, um, the sort of commercial NIL opportunity that exists for student athletes, and I think we've absolutely seen an uptick in that just naturally over the second year of NIL being uh, in existence. You've seen brands get more comfortable. You've seen businesses actively seeking to work with student athletes more, um, and so outreach to that community has been really important for me uh, and has been a priority for us departmentally to continue to impress upon the business community what the opportunity for working with student athletes is. Uh, and then on the other half of uh, that larger community, I would say is, is our general fan and supporter donor base um, and, tr- and, and trying to help that group understand the opportunity that is presented by, frankly, uh, just donating to a different place, putting their dollars in a, in a different space than necessarily um, where they're used to, right? You're used to giving to athletics and supporting in the myriad ways they can, whether it's buying tickets, making a donation. All of those things are still important. That's not changed. 
Um, but we've added kind of another lane for them where we need fan and donor support, and that's uh, in the NIL opportunity space. And the vehicle for us there is the Varsity Collective, and we've been very active in promoting the idea of our fans contributing to the Varsity Collective to provide NIL opportunities for student-athletes. Uh, and you'll see this month in April uh, an emphasis on on that. A lot of messaging coming out of the athletic department uh, portraying the importance of fans and supporters getting involved uh, financially in that space and supporting student-athletes directly through NIL, through the Varsity Collective. So um, the the interest, absolutely, there's been an uptick. And I think it's two things. It's one, the, the space is maturing, kind of like I referenced on the commercial side, but also the excitement. I mean, and, and we're trying to tap into to that excitement that, um, you know, the the goals here are very clear to compete for championships. Those are the words that have come out of Chris McIntosh's mouth. That's the world Coach Fickle is operating in. And to be able to compete for championships in the landscape of college sports in 2023 across all of our sports, but obviously football being the, the visible the most visible example of that is to provide a robust NIL opportunity for student athletes. And, and that's, um, that's something that's ongoing as we educate the fans, but we absolutely are seeing, um, an uptick in interest in that. Yeah. Um, I think there's probably a lot of misconceptions among fans about what, no, about what What? (laughs) NIL is and, uh, NIL is and, and what it can do to bring players to campus. Um, what's the one misconception you'd like to correct of all of them? Like, if you can only correct one, which one would you say? Um, boy, one. I only get one? Are you, you sure? You can have a couple. You can have okay, a couple. I'm going to take two. You can have a couple. Um, I will, I'll do two. One is, uh, I see this narrative that we do not use NIL in recruiting at Wisconsin. That is false. Um, we do not use NIL in recruiting in a way that is not permissible uh, per the NCAA rules, which is um, the idea of tying... NIL compensation to a student athlete uh, enrolling at your school. So the idea of promising them NIL dollars in the recruiting process, whether the promise comes from somebody who works for athletics or comes from a collective or whatever, um, that's not happening. We're not doing that. The varsity collective is not having conversations with prospects in the transfer portal or in high school. But we absolutely use the NIL opportunity here in recruiting. I I do it all the time. I give presentations to groups of recruits on what the opportunity looks like here, uh, whether it's you know, basketball team on Mountain Dew billboards, whether it's the overall structure of the collective and what its mission is, um, we are constantly rec- recruiting to the idea of what is available here in terms of an NIL opportunity, uh, in terms of what it's meant for our student-athletes now. And that's why supporting current student-athletes is so important because that's what allows us to recruit to that. Right. The other piece I would say, uh, 1A to that, is I think there's a bit of a misconception that um, because the Varsity Collective has has been able to engage about 200 athletes so far and has done a lot in its first six or nine months of existence that like it's all set. Like it's this, you know, fully self-supporting entity. And the reality is that the good work it's done on behalf of our programs uh, only is able to continue with continued financial support from our fans and donors. So, you know, I I see fans, you know, that are sitting there going, Oh, well, the varsity collective exists now. We're, we're all good. Yes, in in one way, yes, we are very fortunate to have the collective, but its operations are only as successful as the funding it can secure. So we really need everyone to continue to engage in that space. Well, it's kind of like buying tickets every year, right? Uh, or giving your donation, your seat, your seat donation. Um, you have to do those things every year. You have to continually give money because that's how things get paid for around here, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I mean, budgets, <laughs> budgets of every budgets of every organization operate on an annual basis. That's right. that's that's no different than yeah. than than what we do here, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, Brian Lucas, is this year twenty four or twenty five at Wisconsin? I think it's twenty four. Ninety fall of ninety nine was my first year as an intern. Okay, when I won. Ron Day in the Heisman Trophy. Congratulations. And then that. spurred Mike Kelly and the boys on to the Final Four later. You're doing amazing things back you'll, then. You'll notice, though, he did fail to protect that status as the all-time <laughs> rushing thank champion. You. You know? Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank I know you that's a hot button around I mean, here. I, I had to do that for Zach. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. Yes, very much. What, what were you doing? Did you have like a late night out or something that you couldn't uh, take care of the Donnell Pumper situation? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's been... <laughs> You know, with the NCAA, it's it's been a long, arduous trying to I get tried, bowl yeah. games. I tried. Retroactive. So we for him and, no. I, mean, I mean, we need to – I feel like there needs to be, like, a petition somewhere. Like, a petition.org. Hey, the NCAA, 
I know you have some other things on your plate right now. There were, I mean, but there were there was not the proliferation of bowl games either back then. They're, right. You know, there's there's not a ton. Like, I would say real ones, no, right? Yes, yeah, we exactly. we all know who yeah. really holds the record. Thank you, thank you. So you've been here obviously through Barry and Brett and Gary and Paul and now Thick. Um, how has interactions with the coach changed in each iteration of uh, of Wisconsin? Yeah, I've I've been fortunate enough. I'll start. I've been fortunate enough to have a what I thought, at least on my end. Hopefully, they thought as well a really good relationship with all of them. Um, obviously, different parts of my career when, when Barry was here, like I said, I was an intern and then um, just really starting out in the business and, and was was kind of the secondary, in a secondary role then. Um, but, you know, that that was a different one because Barry was, was Barry and yeah. Barry has, carries himself differently. And um, But it was very professional and... and as we got later, actually, when he became athletic director, you know, it became more more of a personal had more personal connection with Brett. I mean, he was starting out, and I was I had done basketball for a, a number of years with Bo, um, so I had I had some experience with with a high profile um, coach and sport. Um, and Brett Brett was awesome. I I loved working with Brett, um, but you, like you said, different had similarities to Barry in that very confident, both of them, obviously, and not afraid to show that confidence. Um, but Brett really took care of the people that, and I assume still does, because I know a lot of people that still work for him, um, that worked with him and for him. Um, and then when Gary came in, um, he had been a head coach, but had not been sort of in this spotlight. So helping him navigate that, um, like you said, he was he was different than than Brett and Barry in that he didn't really care for the the spotlight. Understood the you know what he was walking into, um, but I think helped him. I think I hopefully helped him navigate the nuances of coming from from a smaller school to a to the bigger spotlight. Um, then with Paul, I had I had a built in relationship with Paul. I had known him. You know, for a number of years as offensive coordinator, um, Paul was Paul was and is terrific. Uh, you know, as a person, um, just a regular person who you when I would go up there into the office to have conversations, it would be five minutes about what I came up there about, and it would be twenty minutes about whether I was coaching my daughter's lacrosse team or whatever was happening. Me going back home on vacation. Um, great conversations. Um, you you omitted Jim because we. Oh, excuse yeah. me. That's my bad. <laughs> so another guy that I had a. Obviously, I was here when Jimmy was was a player, um, so I had all that and um, trying to help him navigate all that we had to navigate in the back half of of last season. Um, and then Luke comes in, and Luke has a very you know he's been a head coach. Um, he's been at a program that. Um, you know, has the biggest spotlight on it in Ohio State. Not that he was in charge there, but obviously, well, he was in charge for a year, um, but obviously picked up a lot there from from both Jim Tressel and, and Urban Meyer. Um, so he knows he has a really good plan for what he expects. Um, and he's kind of a combination of everyone. You know, he, he's, he doesn't, He's sort of like Paul in that he he wants the players to be first and out there and you know is not totally comfortable with his face being everywhere, but understands especially right now where the program is that a lot of that is very necessary for him to for us to push the program forward. Um, so I mean we're still learning each other, but everything's been terrific so far, and the assistants have been great to deal with. So it's been. It's been fun. I don't. I don't know if I answered your question, but <laughs> no, you did. It's but like, I feel like there's just a, a complete 180, in terms of, coach outward personality from Paul to, to Luke. 
Yeah, I mean, part of that is Mason. Part of that's Mason leaving as okay. well. I All mean, right. the, the media relations has seen has, there's been a, a <laughs> yes, huge, I, huge improvement. I guess I, a huge, I, I will note that. I yes. guess I sh- first should yes. have said that that Mason uh, he was 12 years doing essentially working with the media all the time in the football. I think I actually, I did mention that. Whatever Brian would let me do pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, yeah. So a lot of, a lot of the access has, is yes, because of Luke and because <laughs> Mason is gone. Okay. All right. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's a, um, it's important to Luke to sell the program outwardly. That means in recruiting, that means in media, um, I mean, <clears throat> he told me on a number of occasions that he wants to invite people in, whether that's part, – part of it is for recruits to see. But he also has told me about um, parents of, of kids who are here and football alums so that they have a grasp of what the program feels like. Um, and I, I think, you know, so far, what are we, five practices in? I, I think that – has has been has resonated um you know and when the head coach feels that way i think the assistant coaches just naturally understand that and so you see coach longo being out there a lot and coach tressel and um they're very comfortable being out there i was talking to the creative media people last week and the 2015 big 10 uh, commercial with paul christ doing the jump around with his head just like how did that do you remember that? I, I, yeah, I, I've got, I remember Brian, it. Brian remembers it well. Yeah. Yes, I, I was in that, the room. How did that? How did that come to be? And, and why did it? How did? Why did he allow it? It's a terrific story. This may be your best podcast story <laughs> ever. So we walk in the room, and um, that was the year also that I think they had Kirk Ferentz sitting in a nest. Yeah, and Fitz with all the cats. Fitz with all, so the jump around was was not even. Yeah, it was one of the better ones that you could be saddled with so we walk in and the producer says okay coach we're gonna want you to to jump around and paul looks at the guy deadpan and goes what's your plan b (laughs) and the guy like the guy just had nothing he goes well well we 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 just want you to to jump around and paul goes if i'm gonna jump around this whole everyone in here is jumping around, and there were I don't know it's a it's a commercial it's a BTN commercial. There's fifteen to twenty people in there, and they start to laugh. And he told, he's totally serious. He goes, "No, he goes. Everyone in this room is when that song comes on, everyone's jumping around. So you you all you see is him and his head yeah. bopping up and down. Literally, there's fifteen to twenty people in that room, other than the cameraman who had to be steady." Jumping around during that shoot. That's amazing. The beauty of that, too, is uh, what's your plan B <laughs> has become such a thing that I know I say, you say, gets tossed around among our staff now when, when somebody presents an idea. It is. It's what's a great line. <laughs> um, wanted to get uh, – we only have about five minutes left. But so I wanted to um, get your take on a couple of different questions, quick hitters, I guess. Do you have a favorite player that you guys have – not covered, but dealt with on a daily basis. Is there anybody that stands out there like, gosh, he was awesome to work with and he was great. He was hilarious and and was just a a great guy to work with. You you have to go first. The first that comes to my mind, and it's probably because he was just in the Super Bowl and we we reached out to him was TJ Edwards. It was a guy that, you know, for four years we leaned on heavily. Um, And then to go along, TJ Edwards, Michael Dieter, like that, one on each side of the ball. Those guys played a lot of football for a long time, and we leaned on them a lot, and always, always had good, um, good dispositions about them. That, no, There's there, probably a ton. There are a ton. Oh yeah, I, I hope none of them are listening. Um, <laughs> I don't want to pick favorites. I mean, it, by the nature of what I used to do, you know, the players were sort of my responsibility, and. So naturally, I spent a lot of time with running backs here because our running backs were always the ones in the spotlight, and it was always a joke about my favorites were always Jonathan Taylor and Melvin Gordon. Those were always my guys, and um, which is absolutely true. I love those guys. The O-line is always fun. Like That's a one standard, whether it's Dieter or Dave Edwards or going back to Rob Havenstein. Like, you always have a ton of fun with, with those guys. 
Um, Dare is always going to be one of my favorites just because of his story and the fact that he's, even if he didn't have a good story, he's just a fun guy and he's, he's, he's a great, uh, he's very symbolic of what this program is all about. Um, and just, I'd, I'd call him a friend. He's somebody who's, who's great to talk to to this day. Dakota's my guy. Like, he'll always be my guy. He's, I got to know him very, you know, closely and really, um, you know, I think, and I think Brian said this at one point after his senior year, like, we did right by him. Like, he is one that I felt like from a promotional standpoint, from a telling our athletes stories standpoint, he is somebody that, that we, um, you know, really did a good job of getting that story out there because he's somebody who deserves to, to have that spotlight, not only for his background and what he overcame, and, but for the person he is and the teammate that he was. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll always think of the TJ Edwards and the Michael Dieters and the Rob Havensteins and all the guys I had fun with, you know, in the locker room. But, yeah, Dakota's, Dakota's a favorite for a different reason. He's just a great person. Yeah, and his story is obviously very deep and, and has a lot of meaning uh, to him and to everybody around here for sure. Favorite place in the Big Ten to go to? You guys travel with the team. Um, I know you don't get to go out in these towns all the time, but I know you sometimes get to go out to dinner. Is there a favorite place that you like to go? And just a heads up, the, the worst place is coming is the next question. Oh, geez. So, well, the problem with that question is that we're inherently somewhat limited by the time we have, what we'll get in on a Friday night. Um, sometimes it's proximity, like especially before Uber made it easy to get around some of these towns. Um, so like our view of some of these places is limited, but we've been there enough times now that you, you hopefully have a feel. Um, like I like Minneapolis, but we go there in dead of winter in November and it sucks because it's cold <laughs> and you don't want to walk anywhere. Um, ah, boy, I have a hard time picking a favorite there. Um, I mean, I like going to Ohio State is fun just because it's the shoe and, you know, the, the drive in with the fans flipping you the bird and <laughs> there's usually you can find a good place to eat in Columbus. I don't know. I like that environment. Um, I don't know if I answered your question. That's, those, no, those, that's those are a couple what, that come to mind yours? for me. I, People are going to hate this, but I, I like Iowa. I like going to Iowa. Um, I like the state. I like Kinnick. Um, I couldn't say that. No, <laughs> he's not allowed to say that. Um, there's a nice Buffalo Wild Wings right, oh, right in Cedar Rapids. Uh, that's a joke. That's an inside story that no, we don't have get me started on beat ups. <laughs> um, yeah, and and I like um, I like Penn State because I, I grew up on the East Coast, and Penn State was. Like that was one of the college football programs that I grew up watching, and, and that's a cool venue. Um, and they have a nice little downtown that I've hung out in a couple times. Once with Moselle Peterson, back on a basketball oh, trip, which was was fun. Do you have a place you are not a fan of going to? Yes. Where? And again, I will qualify this by saying we have somewhat of a limited view, so you know I may be uh, slanted in in how I view this, and I know many great people who live and work in this community on a daily basis, uh, whom I care for deeply and uh, hope to not judge me for this take, but champagne. Yeah. And it's, and it's because the horror stories of the places we have ended up trying to get dinner on Friday night in champagne, <laughs> whether, of, whether, it's, whether it's of champagne's doing or our own doing, um, yeah, not, not a lot of great experiences there. I would say tied for 15th would be uh, West Lafayette. Again, probably a, um, you know, a lot of it depends on where we stay as a team. And we stay in a, in a, again, we see everything through where can we get something to eat right. or drink on Friday night. And it's not it's very the, selfish perspective. Yeah. Sure. It's not the best location of where we stay. I think if we, now when I've gone there with a couple of times when I went there with basketball, and we stayed closer to campus, there were more options um, that probably would not have clouded my judgment as much. But, yeah, that it's tough staying out on whatever that... The sun is never out in West Lafayette either, that's the problem. It's, it's, yeah, we've had not some sure. rough weather. When's the last time they did play there when it wasn't nasty? I mean, it's, it's been a while. I remember we played there once and said, and, oh. I, and the reaction was, the sun is out, I can't believe it. Once. I've been here 25 years. I feel like once is a... I think, I think it was 20, maybe 2012. I don't know. It was, it was, it was a... I can remember, I think, one day that it was there. I feel it like the Scott... Been, since I've, since I've, been, since go, I've started, it has Going been. way back, I feel like the Scott Starks game was a decent weather game. It was night, though, too, right? Yeah, it was so, night. Yeah. 
It is interesting to hear how many people around the league, though, view this, view Madison as a bad spot at the top, if not, oh. <laughs> you know, or one of the top, if not the top. Okay, you know, all right. Place well, they like to go. Uh, I know it's going to be at the top of my list now. Uh, my understanding is there air conditioning going into the into the press box at uh, Camp Randall. So I'm telling you, once we got Mason out of the media <laughs> relations business, everything has been on an uptick. I love vintage. I'm a big vintage guy. So the <laughs> 1960s motif in the press box, you know, really, really spoke to me yeah. for all those years. Yeah, for sure. All right, guys. Hey, really appreciate your time, and uh, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no problem. All right, so there they were. Really appreciate uh, Brian and Brian, their time, because uh, obviously very busy guys at this time of year with spring football going on and everything uh, that is re- NIL-related for uh, Brian Mason. And um, So certainly appreciate their time, and I thought it was really a uh, good look at some of the different aspects of their job. So, all right, that is going to do it for today's show. As I mentioned, can be back tomorrow. Jesse will join me. We're going to break down practice number nine of spring and then get into more of what the quarterbacks had to say when they met with media today. Until then, you've been listening to The Camp.